Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of In Harmony with Piedmont Opera. Our previous episode, we had the opportunity to visit with Jody Burns, an alumna from UNC School of the Arts, who is in Winston-Salem. And she will be playing the Countess in the upcoming production of The Marriage of Figaro. And today we have another performer, another star from the upcoming show. He will be playing opposite her as the Count. His name is Richard Oyarsaba. Did I get that correct? Correct. First try. All right. Okay. So I don't even have to ask the question then about how to pronounce it other than just to verify the accuracy when I say it. (laughs) Uh, Right. Spot on. (laughs) Fantastic. Uh, Richard is currently in Pensacola uh, performing uh, down there. And as of this recording, you are what, a few days away from the upcoming performance? Tell me, let's start there about uh, what you're what you're doing down in Florida right now. Yeah, currently working on a production of Donizetti's opera Lucia di Lammermoor. Um, and yeah, as of this recording, we're only a short couple days away. We open uh, this weekend. This is a Monday, so we open on Friday. Okay. So let's start with uh, just a very broad question, but tell us a little bit about yourself specifically um, as it relates to uh, folks in, in this area, whether they're familiar with Piedmont Opera or just local to the triad of North Carolina, um, your, your relationship and experience with, with this area and, and the, uh, and the opera itself. So my experience, especially with Winston-Salem and the triad in the Piedmont area, um, all have to do with my education. I went to UNC school of the arts, uh, for my graduate studies and, all of my instructors know this, that I had accepted and, committed myself to um, to this program at the school, and I had never set foot in the state of North Carolina, let alone Winston-Salem, let alone the actual UNCSA campus. They were that convincing. Um, and every time I tell somebody that story, I was like, don't do that. I, I highly advise against it, but I do have to fully admit it worked out for me. This is um, This is a place that I could not find anywhere else in my heart except like right at the core of it that i i am in love with the piedmont area the their commitment to the arts how they uh support the arts especially those of us at the school and beyond and um yeah i definitely would consider winston-salem and the piedmont area a second home so you're from arizona is that correct originally uh, uh, and, just out of phoenix yeah and so and you've you had never stepped foot in North Carolina. You you went to UNCSA, sight unseen. So maybe you can explain to us a little bit about the, the reputation of UNC School of the Arts and what drew you to it and knowing that it would be a good fit, even not having seen it firsthand. What really sold me on it was... Um the the teachers was the the instructors the very people that became my instructors my mentors now my friends and colleagues and definitely i consider them family that it was the personal touch uh when you're looking for a place to attend this next crucial point of your education you look for these things that will help enrich what will then become your career and the, the individuals, uh, Dr. Marilyn Taylor, Steve Lacoste, Jamie Albritton, have really took uh, the personal effort to reach out and explain what it was that uh, the education was going to be. Of course, giving me the out, looking at the, the reality that 
I was looking at other institutions as well. And that was always part of the conversation. They're like, we can offer you this. However, we do understand that you were looking at other places. They will have benefits that we won't, but there's some, this is what we can provide you. And that's exactly what sold me was this. Um, it was the personal touch. It was the fact that I was not only meeting these instructors for the first time, but they were actually telling me who they are and introducing themselves on a very personal note. So by the time it came to really making that decision, not only did I know what I was getting into as far as my education, but I knew the exact people I'd be working with. And then safe to say it was the right decision. Oh yeah. I haven't looked back. <laughs> no, <however>. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So let's, let's backtrack for a moment. And th this is a question I, I like asking all of our guests on, on the podcast, but what can you tell us about the origins of your love of music? Who, you know, it's hard to to pinpoint an exact moment um, music has was ever present in my life. Um, the first question that always comes to me from audience members, donors, sponsors is always, you must come from a musical family. And I, the truth is, it's really just my older sister and myself. My parents did not have any formal training whatsoever. Um, my dad will will take the credit and say he was in the glee club when he was in uh, middle school. And <laughs> my mom did take some uh, primary piano lessons when she was in high school into college, but none of them pursued music at all. But um, like I said, this music was ever present. Um, I can recall, you know, what was considered the oldies when I was uh, uh, growing up. Uh, we're, we're talking about the hits from the 50s, 60s and 70s. They were always on in the radio. Uh, in the car when I was with my parents. Um, I am of Mexican descent and we always had mariachi music at the house. And, but as far as like getting into classical music and especially opera, it was through this insistence from my, my mother, especially that her children be offered the opportunities that she and my dad did not have. So they wanted to introduce us to as much of the fine arts as they could. My sister, um, was a trained ballet dancer since she was um, three years old, picked up the piano when she was five, picked up the cello when she was 11. So kind of a hard act to follow. Um, I got into the fine arts through dance as well, because um, what uh, audiences will see on stage when they see uh, Marriage of Figaro, I'm 6'3". And my mom already knew this, that, you know, when they, when you have a kid, they're like, okay, what's the percentile? And I was definitely in the 99th percentile. She's like, I'm going to have a tall kid. And the last thing I want him to do is to have bad posture. So luckily, um, my mom's sister, my aunt is a trained dancer, went through her, her entire career in modern dance and ballet. So that was the introduction for my sister and myself was dance. So through there, I had this awareness in my body. And then again, going to my mother's insistence that her kids study music, um, she gave me the ultimatum before I turned eight years old. She's like, you need to pick an instrument. And we had tried a couple of things, uh, maybe the drums, no, too noisy, maybe the flute. No, can't. I don't have the breath control for that yet. The clarinet, I don't want to deal with reeds. Um, and of course we have a piano and a cello in the house and I did not want to follow in my sister's footsteps at all. So I told my mom, I want to learn the violin. And of course she's just like, well, that's your choice. So we'll go with that. So I started out as a violinist and then through my love of theater, um, I was signed up for a lot of uh, summer 
youth theater workshops. So I was introduced to straight theater, into musicals, and I loved singing. I mean, I'm definitely of the generation that was raised on the Disney musicals, and my mom was a huge fan of all the classic Hollywood musicals. So those were always on. Again, music was always present. So music was, okay, like, let's try putting it into the voice. So by the time I get to high school, and long story short, when I graduated high school, I was in orchestra at school, was in two choirs, was doing an outside orchestra, was doing string quartets, was doing private voice lessons, private violin lessons, and proficiency in piano. So clearly, I wanted to be a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I wanted to go into to music for my, my college education, but the decision was between violin and voice. And the reason why the voice won out in the end was that passion that we have as artists, that passion that we have as musicians, whatever that medium is that we choose to translate that passion, I found it much easier through the voice than through the violin, this foreign object sitting on my shoulder and my neck. I just, it didn't, I couldn't get out what was in my brain into this musical instrument. And so the voice went out, I go to college, I'm committed to studying opera and let alone i had only seen one opera it was when i was 14 it was madam butterfly and i liked the idea of it but i was so much more familiar with the concert side of things and 18 years old first semester in college and we do a scenes program and a one-act opera that's 40 minutes and that was technically my first role it was stravinsky's the nightingale and I do this performance. My parents are there. They come see the performance and they ask me, they're like, so what do you think? And I was like, yeah, I think I'll do opera. And the rest is history. <laughs> wow. Do you still play the violin or any other instrument now? You know, uh, the piano for sure, just to be able one to, to study the scores that I, I need to pick up for the different operas and, um, you know, concert work that I do, but I still have my violin. I, picked it up as recently as the summer of 2022 so not that not that most recently ago and i tell you and any string player would tell you when you when you um how do i put it i'm not very good at it anymore <laughs> the calluses on my finger pads are gone the my endurance to to keep my arms up like i would have to really rebuild all of that again i'm not against it it's still there but you know i it's actually just giving myself the time so well we're 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 still kind of in a circling pattern i'll put it <laughs> you must have really loved music because as you were going through all the different things you were doing on a regular basis in terms of lessons um, and, and how much you were involved, whether it's private lessons, classes, anything like that, you must have really loved music to, to not get burned out or tired of it and, and want to keep going even as, as you made your way into college and then eventually a professional career, no? Yeah. And you know what? I, I will give the credit where it's due. It's um one, my own perseverance, but two, actually having a very supportive apparatus around me, my my friends, my family. Um, it's unfortunate, but many musicians and um, artists that I've come across over the years will tell you they're not so lucky. I, I consider myself very blessed and lucky that I had this support system that, um, you know, even my parents get the question from their friends and, and colleagues who, when they explain, like, oh, my son's an opera singer. The first question is, oh, like, but what does he do for money? And it's like, no, that's it. 
that's what he does and they're like wait there's money there's there's a, a life that you can make out of that they're like yes they're like we didn't know that at the time but he's showing us through his career that it's possible and i i definitely credit my parents that um where a lot of parents will send their kids off to study music or the arts and they always insist that they have a backup something that they can fall back on whether it be an education something practical that they can bring into the workforce um my parents said like no there's only plan a wow that that's that's yeah cuz i could see in a lot of situations where you say okay yeah music we music's great but that's a that's a hobby that that's that's not going to be I mean, but you were, so you knew that even though, yes, you loved it so much. And I, I know you, you're so thankful for your support system in, in carrying you through this, but you seem, you were pretty determined not only to be great at it, but to say, this is what I want to do for a career. And that's a much different choice. Yeah, no, it really is. It's, um, it's one of those decisions. And <laughs> I guess the, the glib point of view on that is it's one of those things you have to wake up every morning and it's like, is this what I'm doing? Yeah. Yeah. So it's that like every day, like, you know, daily affirmation that it is the the very thing that I love to do. And quite frankly, you know, it's really been the interest at the forefront of, of my mind and like my passions. I mean, there was a short time between like when I was a really little kid until I was about 10 years old, my mom was convinced I was going to be, like a zookeeper or some sort of zoologist or, or veterinarian, because I love animals. And I'm still trying to find a way to bring that interest into music. There is a way and I'm just <laughs> trying to find a way to bring it in. But music definitely won out. And yeah, it's that <laughs> it's that little, you know, hint of crazy that we, all of us have that like really pursue this as a career because it doesn't make much sense to the rest of the world, but it makes sense to us. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was thinking of asking you, what could you see yourself doing if you weren't if you weren't in a career in music? Would it be something to do with animals? You know what? I'd give it a try for sure. But at this point, if it wasn't performing music, it definitely would be part of the the larger apparatus. Yeah. I, I I definitely like you to kind of to your point to your observation. Music is my life now, and I would not ask for anything else. So again, if I'm not on the stage doing it, I would definitely be part of the the entire machine that helps keep it going every profession has its certain training and routines and things that you do to have to keep your skills sharp and to sharpen them um, as things go along what what sort of things do you have to do in your daily life your daily routine to keep your skills as sharp as they need to be to not only perform at the level that you want to but to you know keep getting little improvements along the way too yeah. Um, for a lot of singers who know this, and for those that don't, the the good and bad about being a singer is that unlike the violin, unlike the piano, the instrument changes as you age mm. because it's part of the human body. It goes through its own process of aging. And so for better or worse, how you felt in your singing, how you actually executed your singing 10, 15 years ago might be a little different today. And part of that is the learning process and being observant through throughout these years that you're pursuing it. And something that I've really kind of shifted my own mental paradigm about is this idea of vocal athleticism that 
what makes some of the best opera singers that we know today and throughout history is that they understood this idea that the human body, especially the voice being the instrument needs to be athleticized as if you were an athlete, as if you were in sports, as if you were part of those like athletics that we see in the Olympics. Um, you know, one might say, and many people have said that uh, opera singers are the the Olympians of of the singing world that we're tasked with engaging our own physicality in such a um, coordinated way that really does resemble the the same kind of ethics as marathon runners, as um, bodybuilders, as any any sport you can imagine. And part of that conditioning is the everyday commitment of saying, okay, don't abuse your your body, don't abuse your your instrument. So that includes substances, that includes just like, you know, not overdoing anything and also not underdoing anything. So it's finding this really fine medium of everything that you can um, really just like ride this wave of saying like, I'm taking care of myself and I can continue where I left off the day before. And that's just the physical side of that. The, the mental side of that is on the easier side for me, because again, every day of my life is involving music. And so I, I love listening to it. I love discovering new things. I like seeing performances. I like seeing what other people are doing. And that piques my interest and always sends me back to the practice room to say, okay, I, I want to try to apply that. Do you have any unique tricks that you use to take care of your voice? You know, I'm boring in that sense because there's no like magic trick or, you know, cure all for everything. But I will say, you know, for those days that you're tired, for those days that you feel just a little, you know, exhausted, ginger goes a long way. Mm. <laughs> it's all, you know, old wise rem remedy, but it really does. A, it goes a long way. And that's just because um, ginger as well as pineapple are uh, anti-inflammatory. So if you ever feel like you're a little fatigued that day, it'll it'll kind of help coast you through um through that so the next time that you really want to tackle it any sort of like you know swelling <laughs> has gone down okay that yeah that's helpful um okay so since you finished up at unc school of the arts how often how how frequently have you been to winston-salem Ooh, i would say on average maybe once a year okay more again like it's it's one of my favorite places and and you can't keep me away um i mean i was just uh i was just in winston-salem in december to uh help the opera company out with um a house concert and i think anytime when i was on the road and either driving through north carolina or just like you know passing by like i definitely would make a stop so yeah on average at least once a year and I know you're not here yet. You're still in Florida, but you'll be here soon for the for the performances, the production in March of The Marriage of Figaro. Uh, how are you feeling right now? And what do you think it'll be like coming back to to perform with Piedmont Opera in a couple months? I cannot wait. Um, what makes this very special for me, one, that this is, um, I consider a home company and I hope it's mutual, um, that... This is a show, this is a role specifically that I have exercised many times. Um, the Marriage of Figaro has been, is actually my first 
opera score that I ever bought. I was 17, 16 years old, turning 17, and I was doing a um, summer study and we were doing selections from the show. So that was the first score I ever bought for myself and leafed through and listened to a recording and, you know, trying to match everything. So it's been with me for a very long time, but this is definitely not my first um, count that I will be singing and presenting in public, but it's that benefit of giving back to the very community that helped rear you and, and, you know, build you up very early on in your career. So it's um, I'm looking forward to the opportunity of actually, you know, coming back home as it were and saying, yeah, like this, these are the skills that you gave me and, and allow me to show you what I, what I'm doing with it and contribute back to the very community that sent me out. Yeah. I was going to ask you if you had played this role before the count in the marriage of Figaro, what do you like about this, this part? What's interesting about the role of the count um, on face value, many people will say, oh, you know, he's the villain of the of the story. He's the philanderer. He's, you know, for all intents and purposes, like cheating on his wife. He's making the the lives of the, you know, <laughs> the the workers of the house and of the estate. It's like it's making their lives hell trying to keep up with him and, you know, try to clean up after him. But the truth of the matter is what I really love about the role of the Count, and this is coming from experience of having played the title role of Figaro as well, that what makes the Count so special is despite all of his flaws, despite every one of his misgivings that we see on stage and that we know about from the other characters talking about him that at the very end of the entire show the message that is handed to him is forgiveness it's this idea of taking a character who is at the top of this you know this like small <laughs> this small little kingdom this little this little household that he is like the patriarch and abuses his position and you know it's very relevant for today's society you know a post hashtag me too era and um where we have these figures who in our own society have been toppled down or at least corrected and and reprimanded for their abuse of power that the message that composer mozart and the librettist da ponte put in into this particular show and that is um, echoed from the original source material of the the Figaro play by the French um, playwright Beaumarchais is that as long despite all of your flaws you are offered a place with us in society to move forward that you are offered this this um, chance of forgiveness as long as you can realize where you went wrong but know that there is still a place for you despite everything that you have done which i think is a beautiful message and um though he may not be the central figure i think that's the beauty of this particular show is that you have so many characters on stage and there's so many little subplots and you know side side quests if you will that um at the end of the day it's all of these people coming together and saying hey we don't like what you have done but we're willing to give you a second chance that's very that's very well put. Very well put. And so in this in this opera, you're getting the opportunity to play alongside Jody Burns, who is our previous podcast guest. She also is a UNC School of the Arts alum and current educator. And so she plays the Countess. What can you tell us about uh, the opportunity to to reunite and perform with her? 
Ooh, it's going to be such a pleasure. Um, so long story short, and not knowing what um what she said about me, and I'll find out soon when I. When- <laughs> the episode but we overlapped at um at ncsa in the fletcher program for a year and a half and i'm really looking forward to sharing the stage with her um i think the last opportunity we had to perform together was a scene from carlisle floyd's opera susanna and it was a really intense scene and and that's what i love about jody is this is an artist who brings all of herself to any performance that she does. She has this capability of bringing such human intensity into singing, into music. Um, I told a story to a a Piedmont Opera audience one time that one of the first performances she and I had was a very intense scene from an Italian bel canto opera. And it's this confrontation, a husband and wife, and he suspects her of cheating and she's angry at him and it's based loosely on the life of um, Lucretia Borgia and like if you watch any of the shows involving the Borgias very powerful family so she actually ends up threatening her husband me and saying like you have no idea who I am and who my family is and this is the history part of it she's just like you are my fourth husband don't think that you'll be the last one and in this exchange very intense as it was she's singing like directly in my face and she definitely like spat in my face and it, it was the most glorious moment. I was just like, yeah, that's what theater's all about. <laughs> so I doubt she will I doubt she will return the favor in this time around. And I promise not to do it to her, but I'm really looking forward to to sharing the stage with her one more time um in this uh marriage of Figaro, just to I, I learn so much and I get to really um perform at the peak of my own um my own skills with uh, somebody of that caliber. I need to record a follow-up episode with her for her to get her response to that. <laughs> I wonder if you would remember. Well, now she will. <laughs> uh, before we, we move on to a couple final questions, uh, Richard, is is there anything else you'd like to mention that that you're looking forward to when, when you come back here, not just to, to be back in Winston-Salem, but with this particular opera, this particular production? What I, what's really cool is I, I know how special it is for Piedmont Opera to present the Marriage of Figaro because I believe the last time that it was presented was in 2008. So it's been a long time coming. And, um, you know, the question always comes up of like Marriage of Figaro being the perfect opera. And apparently from what I hear tell back in 2008, it was just the perfect production. And um, I know that Jamie Albritton has been kind of waiting and really being patient and trying to reintroduce this production to Piedmont audiences because of how wonderful it was back in 2008. And um, I know that uh, in that particular production, the title character uh, Figaro was played by Brian Banyan, who was most recently in um, in Winston-Salem to perform in um, Piedmont Opera's recent production of Il Trovatore. And if I do recall, and you can cite a former episode, I believe he said, you know, like, he was a little inaccurate because he thought that I was going to be singing the role of Figaro and then made the the comparison. He's like, well, you know, it's just, you know, I'm sure he'll be almost as good as me. You know, he can't bring himself to do it because it was so good last time. And I have to tell you, you're about to have, I think it's Richard Olasaba is your Figaro for in the spring. You're doing Le Nozze di Figaro in the spring here at Piedmont Opera. And you guys have to go see that because Richard is a hell of a singer. Mm. He really is. Man, that's going to be good. He won't be as good as I was. (laughs) 
he and I, Brian and I had a chat not too long after that episode. And I explained to him, I was like, well, luckily for me, I don't have to compete because I'm doing the count. And, um, you know, I just have to say, like, I, I heard very good things about that production of Trovatore and how good it was. And, um, you know, and I know that Brian sang the role of um, Ferrando, which opens the entire show. But, you know, memory would serve him as well, because I'm sure, you know, he was almost as good as the last Ferrando, which was me back in 2000 <laughs> when Piedmont Opera last presented Trovatore. So that's pretty <laughs> Again, so what I need to do a follow-up episode with, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> this is how close we are as the Piedmont yeah. Opera family. We, yeah. We each other. Uh, all right. Uh, aside from the the people that you'll get to see and the work that you'll get to do, give us some other things that you're looking forward to. Maybe a, a restaurant or a local bakery or or something that you're looking forward to, to doing when you get back to Winston-Salem. So... Winston-Salem has changed a lot over the years, especially since I left um, the university. And I was when I was recently there in December, I could not, it was unrecognizable what downtown has turned into. It's amazing how it's adv- it's advancing and like the new restaurants and the new places that are opening up left and right. So one, I'm looking forward to exploring all of it, but um, a favorite of mine and always has been since I went to school there is, uh, I have, I think I'm remembering. Is it sweet potato? Sweet potatoes. Yep. Oh my goodness! That I, it has to be some of the best shrimp and grits I was ever introduced to, and is kind of like my um my cornerstone for having shrimp and grits anywhere else. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that is uh the the office that I work in downtown. It is maybe less than 300 yards, so it's Lucky. very tempting to just to just drop in there. As soon as I leave the building every day, it's, uh, it's so good. Biscuits. all oh, the biscuits. Yes. yes. Great choice. Great choice. Okay, Richard, I'll, I'll close here with a real easy one, real, real softball question. Um, what are some of the changes, some of the things you see toward the future of opera now as we kind of get back to, thankfully, we're back to live performances and full houses being the norm. Um, but what are some of the things that you're seeing in this particular format of the performing arts um, it's possible really just one of two things and actually it's both of them together one being this we're in a new age of innovation as far as how we as audiences are consuming opera we have so many opportunities now between streaming services between opera companies having a full recorded catalog of their own previous works that you're able to access so many new things or access these um, these companies in so many new ways, rather, and kind of challenging that is this um, this want and desire for new content, and you have these stories that have never been told. We're getting some like new perspectives on the art form itself, and it's really really exciting and very interesting to see how these new voices and these new perspectives are playing out and we'll it'll you know history will tell what sticks in the long term but hand in hand with this advancement i feel is like what i'm looking forward to and actually i'm kind of um championing on my own side of things is kind of a return to the old ways as well i think we can do both at the same time that what we found so remarkable and so magical about the art form of opera, you know, stemming from our, our 
kind of like recorded history of like when it when it first came into fruition and like you know in the in the renaissance but it's this um this perspective of not having to apologize for the grandiosity for the melodrama that opera is because we're talking i mean specifically this particular piece that i'm working on right now as we talk about this in um in florida lucia di lamamore it is this seemingly over the top opera where the plot is very simple it's not as it's definitely not as complicated as the marriage of figaro but you have these just like extended periods of existing in one emotion at a time and how it translates musically and where I see this, like I said, coupled with this advancement of new stuff is also kind of turning our eye back to the old ways and saying, let's not try to reinvent the wheel and, you know, set Carmen, like, you know, one of the, like, you know, um, war horses of the opera world, like Carmen in a Denny's, we don't have to try to reimagine things, but how about we just do things the way they were originally presented in this very grand way and find a way to coexist the old with the new because that's how it's always been like these older operas were always new at one point so um that's kind of what i'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how we negotiate these two wants and needs simultaneously and i think thus far we're succeeding and in this kind of post lockdown era i think um we're really finding what was important to us prior to a you know a global shutdown but also what is these new things as well so um yeah there's room for both for sure yeah that's an that's an optimistic and inspiring outlook uh, i appreciate your your thoughts on that well richard thank you we also appreciate the time that you've given us here today uh Best of luck in your upcoming production down in Florida, but we, we look forward to having you here in Winston very, very soon. Yes, likewise. 